Thank you, Lord. It's good to be together. It's good to be the body, isn't it? Good to be together. And um, we're just excited to always to gather. Isn't it amazing that God has put us together? Even Jesus didn't do his job alone, did he? The first thing he did when his ministry began was he began to find some disciples. And there wasn't many of them, really, only 11 faithful disciples, but they changed the world, didn't they? And so we just thank God. That's his way, isn't it? It's to be together. It's to be, uh, we are not an island, and we do have personal relationships, and there are many weeks that we devote. We talk about, you know, you and your personal time, but I also want to say that it's a personal corporate gospel, isn't it? Right? It's a personal relationship with him, but it's a corporate thing that he's put together. Right? Amen. So we just thank you, Lord, that you're in this church and you're with us. I want to get into his word today. I want to get right into it because I have a lot of text, so we'll just see what I get to. Um, but I, we read this as a church, if you're doing our Bible plan the other day, and it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of scripture that always catches my eye. And uh, it was one that when I heard it again, I was like, wow, you know, Lord, uh, uh, I think I need to preach on this because this is something really uh, special. And uh, for me personally, when I read it, it always uh, just gives me perspective. So I want you to turn with me to the book of John. If you've been reading with us, we're in John uh, right now as a church. Um, but we're going to go to the book of John. And John chapter 6, and it's a long, long chapter. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 33 of John 6. So you can have your Bible or you can look to the screen. And I'm going to be reading from verse 33. It says, Jesus is talking here, and he says, The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they respond to him, Sir, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. So let me just pause here. Verse 33, it says that Jesus says that the true bread of God is the one. So he's talking about bread, because if you just, just for time, we didn't have time to go through the whole chapter, but up till verse 33, they're arguing with Jesus about uh, Moses uh, leading them through the wilderness and, and manna being on the ground each day. And they said that Moses gave us manna. And Jesus is having this argument with them that, first of all, you've got it wrong. Moses didn't do it. God did it. And secondly, what you missed was that was pointing towards me. And you don't see that yet, but I'm about to explain it. And so he says... The bread is the one. Everybody say, the bread is the one. So now this is the point when the story where Jesus is, they've been talking about manna, they're talking about bread, it's the conversation's about to shift in a way that's going to make everybody uncomfortable. I'm not even talking about bread, Jesus says. I'm talking about myself. And we're about to see. So he says, I am, very clearly, the bread of life. So he is saying, I was sent down from God. He said, the one who comes down from heaven, and I'm him. And he says, verse 35, continuing, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this argument continues, and we're going to pick up here in verse 41. It says, the people, then the people began to murmur. Everybody say, murmur. 
And it says that they murmured in disagreement because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. So they were tracking with Jesus for, for a time. This is the same exact crowd. If you just do a little bit of your Bible reading and a little bit of study between the four Gospels, you'll find this is the same exact crowd that was fed in the miracle of the 5,000. This same exact crowd who watched him do this tremendous miracle is now, now we're getting past the surface. Everybody say getting past the surface, right? Now, you know, it's easy to follow Jesus on a surface relationship. It's easy just to think of Jesus as he's cool, right? Some people, there was that shirt and hat going around, Jesus is my homeboy. And, you know, people think of Jesus as whatever they want to think of Jesus. But then when Jesus begins to say who he really is, that's a point of decision. It's a point where people are like, I like all the stuff you give me. I like what you provided me with. Even we could even say, I like the eternal life part. I like the heaven part. But when we get down to what it means, what it all really means and who you really are and what's required of me, well, now I'm not so sure I like you anymore. So they began to murmur. And they began to complain. And then it says, they said in verse 42, and now they begin to use logic. What Jesus will do is, um, and again, this happens. Sometimes people, they've gone to the altar. They said yes to Jesus, right? They prayed a prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Others, you know, they were maybe raised in churches, and they have this, this head knowledge concept of Jesus. But Jesus will challenge that. What he's going to do is, he, that's okay, because you need a foundation. If you're like, you obviously need to hear. How will they know unless they hear, right? That's what the Bible says. So there is a hearing. There's going to be a surface knowledge. There's going to be a place where Jesus is right here. And then there's this point... And this has to happen, really, what I wanted to preach on today is that we all have to go through this. And maybe you have already, and what I'm going to preach on really is that you're going to go through this over and over again with Jesus. This is real Christianity. And what it says is, they began to reason, they began to think that they understood Jesus better than he knew himself. Jesus just said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. He is well aware of who he is, and he told them. Sometimes we should take the Lord at what he says as truth. When I say sometimes, I mean every time. But it says that they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? So they entered into a place of reason, a place of logic, a place of intellect. I know better. I know the Bible says this. And I, and I like this part about Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible when it says this. And I don't like these parts about Jesus. I like Jesus in the love and the friend part. I just don't like the repentance and the sin part. And you can't pick and choose what Jesus you want to follow. He is who he is. And he is and always has been the Son of God and the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And you can't just make him up into what you want. So they began to reason. We know his father. We know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? And rightly so, if you're in logic, they would be saying these things. Which is why when we come to Christ, when we get saved, don't think that you are doing a logical thing. As soon as you think that it's logical and begin to then debate with everything else in the word with logic, you're going to get off. And let me explain why I can say that so firmly. When you come to the altar and you say, Jesus, come into my heart, I want to know you. Let's just use some logic of what that means. You are speaking either out loud or in your heart. Let's just, I'm just saying from the outside in, I'm not saying I believe any of what I'm about to say, but let's just look at it from a scientific, very logical point of view, okay? Just for a moment. I'm not saying this is what I believe. Ready? You're talking to an imaginary person, right? You don't see him. You don't hear him. Some claim that you can feel him, right, because of the goosebumps and things like that. But you can't prove that to anybody because that's an all internal. And the gospel is that a God that you've never met and you've never seen sent his son. He has a son, apparently. And he was beaten and abused on your behalf and put on a cross, cross and bled. But don't worry, his blood represents your blood. Oh, and by the way, he didn't have traditional insemination, right? He was put in Mary's womb, Mary, just a, a young 13, 14-year-old girl, by God himself. You realize that's why the Bible says the gospel is foolishness. I'm going to put it into 2023 language, to your intellect. It says the Greeks call it foolishness, and it's because the Greeks were all, see, the Jews, they were all about uh, the spirit, and the Greeks were all about logic. And so they said the Greeks call it foolishness. Why? Because it is. In your intellect, it's foolish. So, I, again, I don't, I'm not saying I believe anything I just said, but if you were to look at it from a logical, intellectual place, it's in total insanity. And yet, every single one of you that knows Jesus knows that at that altar, you may have had goosebumps, maybe you didn't. That's not getting saved, right? But you know something happened in your heart. You know right then and there. You know that you know, and no one's stealing it from you, that by his blood you were saved, you were healed, you were freed. And in fact, you know that even present tense, the Lord is preparing a place for you like he said it. You can't prove that. There's nothing you can do, but then you can say, well, this happened in my life, and that happened, and all these miracles. And you know what's going to happen if you try to defend yourself with those things? Someone's just going to use logic to break down all those things. That's coincidence, blah, 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 blah. To think that we can mix logic and the spirit is foolish. That's real foolishness. We must get to the place where we follow Jesus because of who he said he, he was, where we believe the word, because Jesus said, I am the word made flesh, 
This is every word has been breathed and inspired, and we cannot go into our intellect and try to break down God and think we're going to understand him, understand his ways. Now, there's many things that we do understand by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into that, but Paul refers to some of those things in Corinthians 2, right? I talk to logical people with logic, but if I can find someone spiritual, then I can talk to them about spiritual things. So I'm going to try to approach them and get on. I'm going to start to scratch the surface with things that they can understand in their mind. But there's a point where that has to go from here to here. Who had that happen? Right? There was a point in all of our lives where it went from here to here. And that's real faith. Everybody can say you believe, and I love this example. I use it all the time, but, you know, you're flying 10,000 feet up. All of a sudden, uh, the door to the plane opens, and the, the sky jumping company that, that you hired for the day says, okay, it's time to jump. And at that point, you believed that the plane was safe and your, your parachute was safe and your backpack was put together properly and the instructor knows what he's doing. It was a belief in your mind, but now it's going to have to drop down into your heart. There's going to be another place where it is beyond logic, because when you look down, that doesn't make sense. There's gravity, and I know what gravity produces, death. And so there is a belief system that's greater than just an understanding, but something in your heart says, I believe. And that is what's the place that we must come to with Christ. And so continuing here... This is amazing. I love this. This is why I just love this chunk of scripture. Because Jesus said, stop complaining about what I said. Jesus knew what they were saying. He knew what they were thinking. There's a huge crowd, and he can hear it in his spirit. And he says, stop complaining about what I said. I tell you the truth. Well, let me just say this. You know, it's funny because... Today we are in such an interesting time where you have to say everything just right. And if you say it just the wrong way, man, they're going to crucify you. And it's funny, Jesus was not nice sometimes. See, Jesus was the epitome of love, wasn't he? He literally was love in every way that true love could be expressed. Jesus lived it. And then dying, my Bible gives the definition for love, that when he gave his life, that was the fullest definition of love, laying down his life for us. So meanwhile, even though he loved us, sometimes we think that Jesus tiptoed around all of our little issues and was nice all the time. And then as soon as a Christian talks not so nice, or a preacher, God forbid, talks a little bit straight, oh my gosh, did you hear him? Did you hear her? They're so mean, they're so rushed, they've got no grace, they've got no mercy, they don't understand the love of God. And it's, here's Jesus out of his own words, stop complaining. Stop complaining. You're in your head, and I'm going to be straight with you. This is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. So he says, there's the gospel right there. He says, yes, I am. So he's telling them again, I am the bread of life, verse 48. Verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, whoever, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This is a very, very clear picture. And what I want us to see is even though I'm using an example of a very 
few words that Jesus said to a select crowd. I want you, as you're listening to the sermon, to imagine the entire Bible, which is God's inspired word, being spoken to you, you know, this verse that day, this verse that day, whatever, and picture Jesus speaking it, and you have to make the decision to either be the crowd who is going to get it into your head and into your intellect and into your feelings and into all your emotions and, well, I don't understand this and why did God do that and God failed me here and then we begin to dissect and think, well, God's this and God's that and we start to create this God in our own minds. And that's what they're doing and Jesus is telling them clearly, I know what you're arguing about and I'm going to tell you again because I don't think you heard me the first time. I'm the bread of life. They ate bread. That, that was just bread, even though it was sent down from heaven, even though it was supernatural. And what he's also picture, pointing to is the law. This is actually a type and a shadow. He's also showing that you guys, because they were the Jews here, and Jesus is a Jew coming to the Jew first, then the Gentile. And he's showing them, okay, you know, you had law, you, and, 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 and that was given by God. It's not that it didn't come down from God, but I am the law, right? I am all of it. The Bible says it all, come on, we know the scriptures, points to Christ, that Jesus said all of it pointed to him, right? There are every type and shadow points to him, and now he's saying, I'm standing right here, and he's saying that the law produced death, but I will give you life, amen. So he said, anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Verse 52, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. Wow. You know, we know, see, the problem is sometimes when we read these stories, you know the whole story. You have to put yourself in their shoes and, and, and understand what they were going through. They had been told these things and taught these things, and they had this certain understanding of God and his word. And what happened is, and why Jesus came at this time, is religion had crept in. And what religion had replaced was David, you know, on his face, the Bible, you know, doesn't say it, but some Bible historians say that David had a harp that was placed above his bed, and the, this historian said that he would listen as the wind would move through the night. It would play the, the harp. It would move the strings, and, and he knew that it was the Lord, like, saying, I'm in the room, and would wake up and seek the Lord, and we see his psalms crying out to God and, and saying, I, I was thinking all these things and I was all over the place in my mind, but I got to the temple and I came to my senses, right? But what happened is, is they turned this heart thing of seeking God and wanting to know God into uh, tithing, like Jesus said, of the tiniest little thing. And yet here's Jesus in the flesh and they can't even see him. They had turned the gospel uh, which had always been the gospel, even though it was pre-Christ, right? It was always pointing to him into uh, this religion of works and things that you needed to do and missing that there was a God who gave him all of it to point to himself, and now it was just the thing for, its, for itself. It was the temple was its, you know, look at our temple, look how beautiful it is. And, and, and when Jesus began to interrupt their 
religion, they got upset. That's where he went in and made a whip of cords and turned over their religion. And they got upset. And it became one of the things, one of the, one of the marking moments where they began to seek out to crucify him. So here we are. It says, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said, again, verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. This sounds like something hard to understand, isn't it? I bet you if I went to a local university and said, I just wanted to give you guys the gospel. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. Let me just turn to the book of John, verse six, I mean, chapter 6, verse 54. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. They might think, is, it, is this because it's October? Is this like a vampire thing? Because they're going to, you know, in their intellect, they would say, I don't understand. We must see that it's not an intellectual thing, that this is a spirit thing, knowing Christ and walking with him. He says, you cannot have eternal life within you without this. Verse 54, but anyone who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink, and goes on. He says it again and again. Verse 56, verse 57, he says, I live because the living Father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 58, again he says, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. And he said these things, verse 59, while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, up until this point, Jesus has made it very clear what he was saying. Is there anything unclear at this point in what he said? The only thing unclear is do I want to believe what you're saying or do I need to understand before I believe? Now, this is, this is such a key to Christianity. If you think you're going to understand every concept, because what will happen is it's just one concept. But the Bible, uh, we don't have time, but Jesus is spending time with the disciples, and he gives the parable of the seed of the word. And I may refer to that in a minute, but let me just fast forward. Jesus is talking to them, and they say, well, can you tell us what it means? And Jesus said to them, you're permitted to know the secrets of the kingdom. I speak in parables to everybody else. But he says this to them as well. If you can't understand this, how are you going to understand my other parables? In other words, I'm going to explain this to you, but if you can't get this, you're, just, you're going to be in this place of not getting what I'm saying. We need to get to the place, really, what he was ultimately saying to them and saying to us is that you don't need to understand to believe. If you think that you're going, I would like a scientific intellectual analogy or a description of and this is kind of what God did with Job. If somebody can give me, you know, a very intellectual, analytical, scientific description of God before time creating the world and sending his son to pay for my life with his blood, I'd like to hear it. 
And that's one of the big stumbling blocks that people actually, the point I'm making is, the unbeliever, the intellect, he gets to that place and he can't do that. So that's it. I can't go any further. But what I'm warning you today is there is a place within every single one of us that we move into Christianity. We say, I do believe, but I want to say this, that referring now again to the, to the parable of the seeds, Jesus warned us that some people, it would be scattered on the ground and Satan snatches it right away. There are people that hear what Jesus is saying. It's as clear as day. You're a sinner. Your life is headed towards hell. But I will take you to heaven. Just believe in me. That's the gospel. And they reject it immediately. And the Bible says it's like Satan, the birds snatch up the seeds, and it's as if Satan was immediately stealing the word from them. But then the Bible says that there is a heart that has good ground. And the Bible says that the seed goes into that ground, the person protects it, cares for it, waters it, and so on, just like a seed, right? And this thing grows and gives them life. And Jesus said it's the same way. He says it's not just a seed. It's not just a farmer story. But this is my word. This is what needs to happen. It needs to get inside you into a deep place in you where you say, I believe it. And there is a place in between where it says it fell on the the ground with shallow ground, which means they believed, they were excited, but then the Bible says that troubles came. And because troubles came and they didn't have deep roots, it didn't last. It shriveled up, it dried up, it died. And what Jesus, what's happened is, is we have people that they say, I believe, I want to follow you. And I believe this, as I'm going to make a very firm statement. I believe that every single person that has said yes to Jesus Christ, he will take you to this place. He will take you to the place where you have to decide, I, I don't understand. And if you, maybe you have great understanding, well, then it's going to be a little bit further down for you than maybe the, other per, the rest of the world. Maybe you have great understanding of God and you're just like, I just get it, and I just understand it. Well, he's going to take you to the place, I promise you, to the place where you do not understand, and you're going to have to make a decision of this. It says, verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. Now, this is very important. This is not the 12 disciples um, this was just disciples. This was a group of people we know. I don't know how many, and we know that there was at least 120 of them that remained through it all into the upper room, right, in Acts. So this is not the, the 12 disciples, but we know that because we're about to see it a few verses down, and that's really the other part to this whole sermon. But it said, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And it says, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? It's amazing, and I started to allude to it a few moments ago. We have to be so careful to offend anyone. And to be honest, when I offend someone, I'm usually surprised 
because I didn't get the updated memo. It should be like I got a recall in the mail for my, one of my cars, and I think we should get, like, memos. I think they should come in the mail. Like, hey, just so you know, you know, this is going to offend people. It didn't used to. Because I'm always surprised. I didn't know that that was offensive. It didn't used to be offensive, and now it is. And Jesus is dealing with that same exact concept here 2,000 years ago when it was something that they couldn't understand. They got to this place, and the Bible says, Jesus said, does this offend you? Now, we know a few verses from here. Yes, it does offend them. But let's just pause here for a moment. We have to understand that Jesus is going to ask all of us this question. You may have been in the church for five years, maybe even 50 years, and there's a point where you're going through your word, and all of a sudden there's a verse. You've read it before. You've read it, but man, the understanding, you know, there's like, wow, I didn't see that before. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, to you, you know it because you're, you're reading that, that scripture and you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking. I want you to change in this area. And who, is ha who can testify that this has happened in your life, right? It should be happening every day. This should be happening every single day. But there is a place where I, and I have said it to God more times than I can count, I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, just let's just use like one of the generic Christian things. You ready for this? Because this has been we've been talking about this recently. You've got the guys in the Amazon jungle. I've been hearing this since I was a kid. The gospel hasn't gotten to them. How do they get saved? Now, when I wasn't a preacher, it was just like, wow, I don't know. It's something to think about. I guess eventually, you know, maybe I'll know, or and and, and hopefully the Lord. You know, maybe the Lord, you know, reaches them. And then I hear stories about Arthur Blessed going through places like that, literally going through the Amazon. So then you're like, well, maybe the Lord really is sending people. You just don't know about it. But there's this place where I'm like, I don't understand. And what we have to do as Christians is we have to say, Lord, I believe your word. I can't start to backtrack on every other concept and thing that you've brought me this far. You just showed me the 5,000. You fed me with the, with the bread and the fish, and you've showed me that you're obviously the Lord. And now because there's something that I don't like, there's a concept. It's actually calling me. You're calling me deeper. You're telling me I want, you want me to be more in my word. You want me to be more around other believers. And Lord, that's going to interfere with my life. And I don't understand what you're doing and what you're saying and I've taken those times and those questions and I put them on a shelf for him to either answer one day or in eternity and I decided just like they they came to this place and this is the whole point of this sermon let's see what it says it says Jesus was aware he says does this offend you and he says verse 62 this is what happens if you get stumbled and this is why the Bible's being re rewritten. Let me just tell you right now. The cut-and-paste Bible, the reason the Bible is being rewritten into language that is... It's, I'm, I'm preaching out of the NLT. It, all it is is just easier for your ear to hear. It's taking out the these and the thous. But I'm not taking out Jesus. But that's what they're doing now. Let's just take Jesus out. 
and let's just have a gospel about goodness and love and, and peace and joy and happiness. And this is happening right now, present tense. If it's not happening in the book, I can promise you in churches across America, they're just making that decision for the Bible and saying, I'm just not going to touch any of those areas. I'm going to put the coffee house at the beginning. I'll make everybody comfortable. Maybe in 75 years, I'll finally tell them about Jesus. When I finally, I'm their best friend. And it just doesn't work that way. You might as well just deal with the offense as quickly as you can. To be honest, the church used to be, you came in, you felt uncomfortable. Who can testify? And now you were like, I think people are judging me, you know. And then you realize, wait a second, it wasn't people. It was the Holy Spirit dealing with me like, hey, I'm in sin and I need to change. You might as well just deal with it right away and say, you're going to hell, but you don't need to. Jesus is the Savior and has paid the price for your sins. Right, Annie? Imagine the gospel was just presented to you. You can just, you can just stay in the addiction and God loves you and, you know, one day you can deal with it. Imagine the gospel was presented that way. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the real gospel and the truth. Jesus wasn't being afraid of offending us. We shouldn't be afraid of offending people when we preach the word as well. And it says, he said, if you can't get this, if, if this offends you, then What's going to happen when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? It's only going to grow. You're going, the, we don't have time because I never have time. But you can look in Ephesians 4, talking about spiritual growth, what the point of the church is. It's supposed to grow us, right? You can look in 1 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 5, 1 Peter 2. These are all chunks of Scripture that talk about us maturing, going from having milk to meat, right? Having the Word. Going from uh, one place of understanding, not human understanding, but spiritual understanding, to another, right? From revelation to revelation. This is how the believer is supposed to progress. Now, does the Lord love the person who has no understanding in their addiction? Of course, this is not about God's love. This is not a sermon about God loving you. He already loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. The gospel should never be, it should never be confused with God loving you and what's required of you. It would be like a child complaining and crying, you don't love me because I'm asking them to take out the garbage. This has nothing to do with my love. I love you. I've given you everything. I'm asking you to do something. This is not works. This is not you work. You're not earning my next meal for you. This is just a part of living in this house. And sometimes we need to go back to Christianity, go back to the Bible, and realize some of these theologies crept in a long time ago about grace and works, and I've been like tearing them down for eight years. This, these, like, these big walls of, like, if you talk about doing anything, anything whatsoever, you're in works, and you're legalistic. Imagine my kid telling me that. Well, you probably will have food the next meal, but you're going to probably lose some, some, some benefits. Let's leave it at that. I won't not feed you, but if you're going to complain about that, 
maybe some of your freedoms are going to be restricted. So they say to Jesus, you know, how can this be? Jesus says, if this offends you, there's going to be, there's more. And the point is that I think that this place is going to happen no matter what. There's always a surface and below the surface. You know, eventually I come to terms with the fact that, okay, Lord, you want me praying. You want me in your word. These aren't legalistic things. This is for my own benefit. This is to grow me. It's, you know, I'm leading uh, my own family, even if I wasn't leading a church where I have family and friends that you are influencing through my life, whether I like it or not. And I need to be close to you to reflect you properly. And you get all that. And then the Lord says to you, yeah, but you're missing it in this area. Now, it's not condemnation. God's not coming to con condemn us. He's saying, I want this area needs to increase. It's just like when you went from second grade to third grade, and you're like, well, I just want to do two plus two. Does not equal five. That's a lie. It equals four. Before time began, God established math. Man did not establish math. Two plus two equals four. It's not a man-made invention. If I take two rocks and two rocks and I put them together, I don't see five. But now you're asked to do multiplication. And you're like, well, I don't want to do multiplication. I'm very comfortable with what I know at this level. Imagine saying to God, I like you. You're cool and all. And I want to be like your friend as much as I can, but I just don't really want to be that committed to you. Imagine saying that to your spouse. Right? Imagine saying that to any loved one, any friend, you know, just like, listen, I like you, and as long as you keep bringing me free stuff, that's cool, but I really don't want to do anything for you. We're all going to hit that place where Jesus is going to ask you for more than you're willing to give. He's going to ask you for beyond what you understand, beyond what you think, because he's getting you to the place where you are not intellectual, you are not a, just a human being, but you are spirit. Your, your body, the mind is going to die. The mind goes into the grave, at least the flesh part of it, but the spirit inside you is going to live. That's the part that Jesus is after. You won't need to do math in heaven. Sorry, Tony N. He's just going to show you like crazy, amazing things beyond the math we can understand. Let me show you this, Tony N. But it says, verse 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So now Jesus is dealing with what I've been preaching on today. So it's not just my opinion. Here it is. He's telling you directly. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The word of God, you must receive, you must read his word. If you read it with today's culture, right? I, I posted a funny scripture, commercial break, Old Testament scripture. And the scripture was... Um, Basically, it's, I mean, it's really funny. Our, our Bible is funny at times. It said, uh, I'm going to make you as weak as women. I posted it on our, as an army. Like, your army's going to be as weak as women. I was like, wow, this is not politically correct. 
Someone needs to give God a memo. This scripture is not politically correct. Your army is going to be as weak as women. Anyway, sometimes we read things. We don't understand things. You cannot take, and I said this last week too, you cannot take the Bible, which is a compass, and it points north, and just think, well, I just don't like the direction it's taking me, so I'm going to take the glass off, and I'm just going to change the rules a little. Who wants a gospel? Then I'm like, well, why even believe at all? If you're going to believe a partial gospel, if you're only going to follow Jesus so far, why believe at all if you don't believe the whole thing? It doesn't make sense. It's like playing a part of the game and at the, at the end be like, okay, that's enough. We played, you know, we, we, we played. That's not about who wins this thing. Let's not finish it. It doesn't make sense. All you did was just occupy space and time without the whole gospel. So it says this, and I'm bringing this, to, I'm bringing this to a head here. He said, the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. He's referring to Judas, uh, but also probably others here. Verse 65, then he said, that is why I said that people cannot come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And this is very important. You did not choose Jesus on your own. You were drawn. None of us can deny that. Every single person that said yes to him, he gave the invitation. You didn't just think it up one day. At some way, shape, or form, whether it was a television show or a person you know, in person or on the radio or uh, an event you were at, somebody said, do you want to know Jesus? So Jesus said, the invitation is out there. I've given the invitation. This is what it's saying. Some people have said that this means that he only calls certain people and doesn't call others. No. You, you know what? Who's ever hearing it, at least in this room or on this podcast, if you're hearing it too late, you don't have that excuse anymore because now you've heard him. And he said, that is why people cannot come to me unless the Father gives them to me and says at this point, verse 66, and I always like to point this out, it is John 6, 6, 6. Look at this. John 6, 6, 6. And this is the, you know, the 666 is what? You know, the, the number of the Antichrist. It is the opposite of Christ. Antichrist, right? Opposite. We've been talking a lot about opposites, right? So what is Antichrist? Many of the world, you know, the heathens, they just had enough. No, it says many who, let's, let's read that word out loud. Many of his disciples. My Bible says that you can be a disciple and turn away. I could follow Jesus, I can track with him through the goodness and the mercy and the grace, but as soon as he says, I need you to suffer with me because those who suffer with me will also share in my glory, I've had enough. It's too far. I can't go any further. And it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. But this is my favorite right here. And this is the whole point of why I wanted to preach this sermon. It says in verse 67, Then Jesus turned to the twelve, and he asked them the same exact question. He says, 
Did you get offended too? I hope you're not too offended by what I said. And I know you don't understand. Don't pretend you understand how you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You don't need to try to pretend to understand. I know you don't. But is it too much for you? Is my gospel, what I'm asking for you, is your understanding going to get in the way? Or are you going to say in your spirit that, you know what, I don't understand, but I know that you're God. I don't understand how you created everything I can see, but I know that you did it. I don't understand how you have a son and you sent him to the earth, but I know that you did it. I don't understand how you're going to come back and you're going to get me from this earth and give me a new body, but I know you're going to do it. And they said to him, just the way that you say to him, the true followers of Christ, when he, Jesus turns to you and says, is this too much for you? Is my gospel too much for you? Am I asking you too much from you? And we're going to turn to him like Peter said and said, Lord, where else would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give and this is a very key here because this whole chunk of Scripture is about word. It's honestly about the word. Jesus is referring to himself. Of course he is. And I'm going to get into that. But the bread is what? It is the word. You have the life. And because that's why we have our Bible. This is key. We have the words of life that give eternal life. He says we believe and we know we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that amazing? That's the place we have to get to. And um, you, the, the, the place of offense will come. It will. And you, have to, you actually have to get offended by God to grow. You have to. When... A greater understanding comes. Just as a child is going through school, there is a point, I don't get it. They wouldn't be teaching it to you if it wasn't something that couldn't be got. But it, right now, I don't get it. And it's offensive. It's, the offense is what? It's irritating. Who's ever, right? You're in school. They're teaching you a greater concept than the last concept, and it irritates you because you can't get it. And that's what it's supposed to do. And you have two choices, to be stubborn and rebellious. Let's just be blunt and be honest here. Or I'm going to believe that my teacher knows that I need to know this because there's another level beyond this one that's going to be even greater than this one. And you're like, no way. There's no greater understanding than this. And I believe that the Lord brings us to these places where we say, yes, Lord. That is the place that Jesus came to in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was... He wasn't offended with God in the human word, okay? But he, was, he, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do in his flesh. That's what the Bible says. And he said, is there another way? And he prayed three times. Jesus, the Son of God, you would think he would get it after one time, right? I'm not, I'm not judging Jesus. What I'm saying is if Jesus prayed it three times, and he must have wanted God to maybe do something different if it was possible. And he's so stressed about it, he's sweating blood, but he says, thy will be done which means God's way is God's way. If there was another way, God would do it. And sometimes we need to just take his word. And I've, been, and I've been preaching like a broken record for like a couple of years now because of what's happening in our nation and the ideologies and, and things that are, that are changing. And you're supposed to just keep up with the offenses. 
Just know right now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was not afraid to offend us. That is the gospel. It's offensive. It's supposed to be offensive. Because you know what's offensive to God is our stubbornness and our rebellion. And he's supposed to get to the place where we deal with it. And then the, great, the same grace and mercy and love that was on the cross before I even committed the sin is there for me. And then we say to him, yes, Lord, where else am I going to go? I'm just going to, I don't understand, but I love you. I trust you. And that's when it's real faith. It's not just belief, but it comes to this place of faith. I believe God because you're God, not because I get it all. Amen? Hopefully this sermon made some sense and, uh, and gets into your heart. I pray it's good seed in the ground of your heart, and then it grows to produce life in you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.